following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Well, how's everybody on a rainy Wednesday? You doing good? Who got the flu? 90% of you got the flu right now. How's everybody feeling on a Wednesday night? Yeah. Come on, we're here. We might as well have a good time while we're here. Anybody enjoy worship tonight? Man. You know what I enjoy? I enjoy being able to come to church. That. But I also enjoy being able to come to church and just be alive. You know what I'm saying? Like I can come in. If I'm going to scream for the Texas Longhorns, though, they're awful. But I'm going to scream for them. Man, I think it's all right to be in a place of a worship. Last time I checked, there's only one person that died for me, and his name is Jesus. And so it's all right if, if from time to time I get a little excited about the one that died for me. And what an honor it is. I say this quite often, but it's so true. Uh, anytime I get to stand on this platform uh, behind this pulpit to, to speak to God's people, I count it. A, a very, very high honor of mine, and tonight is absolutely no different. And we're, we're diving into the Word tonight, and if you were here last week, you understand that uh, we're in the middle, or really the second week of a series called uh, Solomon's Secrets. Solomon's Secrets. And what we're doing with this series is we understand, listen, that, that we're not home yet, right? We're not, we're not walking the streets of gold. We're not in heaven, so we have battles that we fight on earth. Anybody fight battles? Anybody deal with things in your world, right? Yeah. So what we're doing with this series is trying to give you some some tools to put in your toolbox so that while we're here on earth, we can live the very best life that God intended for us to live. And so in doing that, we're going and we're learning from the wisest man that ever lived, Solomon. And God would, would use him to write uh, a lot of scripture. And so we're diving into the word of God uh, in week two. And I want to share with you, listen, I can read this passage of scripture faster than you can stand up. So stay seated as I read this. And we're going to dive Right in Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 4 says this, and you're going to know right where I'm going tonight. I'm just telling you, tonight, the practicality of this message, but the word of God that's behind the message is, um, it's, I, I think it's going to hit home for a lot of us. Uh, Proverbs chapter 10 verse 4 says this, he who has a slack hand becomes poor. But the hand of the diligent makes rich. Every school child knows the name Orville and Wilbur Wright. The Wright brothers who are credited with the first manned plane flight in 1903. But what people don't know, what, if you don't know the backside of the billboard, let me share with you a little bit, is that, that before that historic day in December, the Wright brothers were really just two obscure bicycle mechanics. Most people thought that Dr. Samuel Langley would be the one 
who, who would be the first to build and to fly an actual plane. And Langley was a, a renowned former professor of mathematics and astronomy who, this guy seems qualified to build a plane. He was the director of the Smithsonian Institute. I can't do that. Like, I can't, I'm not going to be building an airplane. He had successfully completed experiments with large unmanned plane models. And, and in, 19, or in 1898, in fact, the U.S. War Department gave Langley a $50,000 grant to build the first manned aircraft. So he had the support behind him to do what it was that he wanted to do. And in 1903, October of 1903... Two months before the Wright brothers' flight, Langley was ready to test the first manned airplane. And as you already know, that attempt failed. It was unsuccessful, and the press brutalized him for it. Two months later, Langley tried again, and, and guess what? He failed Again, and once again, the press tore him up. One editorial in the New York Times read like this, We hope, this is great, wouldn't you like this said about you? We hope that Professor Langley will not put his substantial greatness as a scientist in further peril by continuing to waste his time and money involved, this is my favorite part of it, in future airship experiments. That would be great. I would love stuff like that said about me. Here's the problem, right, and this is where some of us are in life, is that, that he let the failures and the pressure get to him. And after 20 years of labor and effort and time, Langley, what did he do? He gave up on his dream of manning an aired flight, a plane. He gave up on his dream. He quit altogether. And, and here's the craziness of it. Are you ready? It was just a couple of days later. That the Wright brothers would make history. Just a couple of days later, right, right after he quit, there was somebody coming behind him that made history. So, so what is the second secret that we're unlocking from the wisdom of Solomon here, right, from the word of God? And it's so simple, but it's so true. And it's this. To succeed more, fail more. To succeed more, fail more. Thomas Edison was correct when he observed that many of life's failures are people who didn't realize how close to success they were when they gave up. Wow, that's powerful. Someone smarter than me once said this, and this is beautiful. Courage is the desire to begin something, but persistence is the determination to continue something. And I, I'm convinced. I'm convinced that, that one reason people stop setting goals in their life is because of a failure that they've experienced in their past. Perhaps it was a business dream that ended in bankruptcy. You had it all together. It was going to, woo, it was going to change the world. It changed one world. It changed your world. Maybe it was a dream of becoming an author that ended with a rejection letter. A dream of a satisfying marriage that ended in a divorce that you're not even sure how you guys got to where you were. But the problem is that if you find yourself in this situation, most of the time it's not that you lacked a dream. 
Most of the time you have a definite destination in mind. But the problem is we don't go far enough. And the problem is that that we don't realize how close to success we actually are. People mistakenly think, this is is so true, people mistakenly think that successful people get where they are in life because of how smart they are. They're just smarter than the average person. Oh, okay. Maybe it's because of their connections. They had to know people. How in the world would they be able to do what they did to get in that room with those? It's got to be some type of connection. Just this uh, this connection that I don't have, I'll never have it, right? This is is what we do. We justify it away. or, Or maybe It was just unexpected luck. They just won the lottery of life. And that's why they're successful. But I want you you to grab a hold of this this valuable nugget of wisdom from Solomon. And, And it's this. It's so simple. That the single quality that distinguishes successful people from unsuccessful people is persistence. Persistence. You know what? Have you ever met a very persistent person? You, yeah, you know who they are. Chances are they probably annoyed you a little bit. Persistence. We're talking about the word persistence tonight for the next few moments. So what, what is Persistence, I know we're familiar with it, but persistence is the courage to continue pursuing your dream in spite of unexpected setbacks and undeserved criticism and unrelenting hard work that it takes to make it happen. The ability to persist spells the difference between mediocrity and success. Let me say that again. The ability to persist spells the difference between mediocrity and success. And and you're probably sitting here and you're probably wondering, well, this sounds great. This is awesome. But I don't really care what you have to say about it, Pastor Brad. What does the Bible have to say about it? And really, does the Bible even speak on this? Because I'm not sure where you're going. Imagine. Imagine if... If Joshua and the children of Israel had grown weary marching around Jericho about day five, when there was no, not, not even a hairline fracture in the walls of Jericho, what, what if they would have stopped on the sixth lap and gone to plan B? What about the story of Naaman? What, what if Naaman said, you know, what, what did you tell me to receive my healing, Lord? I, I, I've got to go dip myself seven times in the Jordan to get my healing? No, nah, Lord, I only got six in me. I'm sorry. Right? What happens if these people would have stopped short? Solomon, the, the collector of, of Proverbs and the author of, of so many wise things. I'm going to read through a bunch of scriptures with you to, to prove to you really How much the word persistence is all throughout the pages of your Bible. Are you ready? Proverbs chapter 10. He who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a wise son. He who sleeps in harvest is a son who causes shame. Proverbs 12, the hand of the diligent will rule, but a lazy man will be put to forced labor. Proverbs 13, the soul 
of a lazy man desires and has what? Nothing. But the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. And keep in mind, we're not just talking about monetary riches. We're talking about your soul, right? The things that that make you spiritually rich, that make you rich on the inside. Proverbs chapter 20. The lazy man will not plow because of winter. It's too cold. He will beg during harvest and have nothing. Proverbs chapter 21. The desire of the lazy man kills him, for his hand refuses to labor. He covets greedily all day long, but the righteous gives and does not spare. Here's what I know from all that. I don't want to be lazy. That, that, when I read that, it just seriously, it motivates me to say, you know what, this is exactly right. People that, that are unsuccessful in life, a lot of times you can go back and you can equate the word of God to how they end up in life. Now, there's a lot of circumstances that go with it, but guess what? This Bible is still true today. <laughs> right? And it's, it's still right. And it comes alive to us. And so let, let, me, let me try to do this. I want to help you nurture persistence in your life. How do you become a more persistent person? How can we become a person that doesn't quit, that doesn't stop short of everything that God has in mind for us? And I want to share with you several of them tonight. And, and the first one is this, and it's the foundation. There's really not much to say on this, so I'm going to move through this one quickly, but it's this. You have to understand the value of persistence. you got to understand and believe that it matters, that there's something on the inside of you that says, I'm not going to quit, I'm not going to stop, I'm not going to give up, though it looks crazy out there, though everybody tells me I'm crazy, but I've got this God-given dream, and I'm not giving up on it. you got to understand that there's value, and you got to believe it at your core, that there's, there's value in persistence. And so the second one is this, if you're going to move toward reaching your God-given purpose in life, you've got to be willing to let go of your past and focus on your future. Watch what Hebrews chapter 12 would say, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. This is is crazy right here. Who for the what? The joy before him. The joy. He's going to the, the joy before him. Yeah. He endured the cross, despising shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Notice, notice what two things that Paul says restrains our progress. Did, did you catch those two words? Encumbrances and sin. Those are the, the two things that, that impede our progress. And so we understand what sin is and we talk about sin, but, but what does he mean by encumbrance? And I don't think really it's as complicated as what the word sounds like. I really think he's talking about anything other than, than overt sin that keeps us from moving toward our God-given dream and our God-given purpose. And watch, here's what I've learned in life, and I know many of you have learned this principle as well, that looking back, do I have any runners in the, in the house? 
Any, any joggers? Come on. We got to have a few people. We got some runners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Guys, it's the new year. Like at least the first three weeks, you got to act. Come on. We're preaching on laziness, people. Let's go. Okay, so since we're all joggers now, here's what you know about running is that, that looking back while running a race can be an encumbrance. When's the last time you were running towards a destination looking behind you? you go try that when you leave here. Just just give it a shot tomorrow walking into work. You, you know, that's the moment when you walk into work, when you're looking back here talking that you walk into the side of the door. You know what I'm saying? You can make YouTube tomorrow. Just try this. It's beautiful. Because we have a tendency to travel in the direction that we're looking and if you're always looking behind you and what could have been and what should have been and what you could have done better and, and what happened back there, if you're facing that way, it's not going to be long before you start walking in that direction. And God said, listen, the things that I have for you are not behind you. The things that I have for you are right before you. They're in front of you. The son of the, the great inventor, Thomas Edison, told an incredible story about his father. It's really interesting. It was December of 1914, and Edison was still working on the development of the nickel-iron alkaline battery. He had spent 10 years of his life, 10 years is a long time, on this new invention, and he repeated failures, and it had placed him, repeated failures had placed him on the, the brink of financial ruin, and if it hadn't been for royalties from past inventions, without question, he would have been bankrupt. But one cold December evening, the story gets better, y'all. A fire broke out in Edison's plant. All the chemical, celluloid films, and records ignited. Firefighters from eight different surrounding towns arrived to try to help put out the fire. But it was so intense that the situation was hopeless. Thomas Edison lost Everything in this fire, everything that he had been working on for the last 10 years, he lost to this fire. And Edison's son remembers looking for his father in total panic. And finally, he sees his dad running from the flames. And, and he tells him, he says, go get your mother, son. Tell her to hurry up, bring everyone. They're never going to see a fire like this again. Wow. The next morning, they all gathered at the scene and gazed at the pile of rubble, the pile of what used to be, of what could have been, the pile of what once was. Edison turns to his staff, and I love this, boldly declares, he says, we're rebuilding. And he starts to lay out a plan on what it looks like. We need the, these machines to come help us. And then at the, like just a passing comment at the end, he says, anybody know where we can get some money? <laughs> he, he's got a big dream, but it takes a little bit of backing in this moment. But here's the beauty of it. In the moment of losing 10 years, right, of his work and, and the dreams and the hopes of what he had been building his working towards. 
He's already, in the moments after losing it all, he's already looking forward. We will build on. We will go on. We will get past this. I know I put a lot of time and a lot of effort into this, but those were failures. Those were mistakes. And guess what? We're going to do something else. We're going to do something different. We will. We will go on. We will move on. Philippians chapter 3 says it this way. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call in Jesus Christ. What direction are you looking? What direction are you moving? What direction are you speaking? The third way. For you to nurture healthy persistence in your life is to learn the importance of beginning. Learn the importance of beginning. Malcolm Forbes said this, vehicles in motion use their generators to charge their batteries. You can't recharge your battery when you're parked in the garage unless you're a golf cart. You got to get going. You got to get moving. You got to you got to start. You got to begin something. You can't sit in neutral year after year after year. Uh, after a while, you got to put what is your life in gear and begin to inch this baby forward. Anybody? Come on, can I get a witness in the house? Forbes was actually drawing from the law of inertia that says a body in motion tends to remain in motion and a body on the couch tends to stay on the couch. He didn't quite say it that way. I just Proverbs 26, the sluggard says, well, this is funny, there's a lion in the road. A lion is in the open square. As the door turns on its hinges, so does the sluggard on his bed. You'll catch it in a second. What the wisest man ever is trying to share with us is that the odds of a lion actually roaming the city streets is about the same then as it was today. But the sluggard will use any excuse and every excuse possible to keep from going to work. Now, i got to preface this. If you're lazy, you're going to get momentarily upset with the Word of God. Just, I'm just, when I was reading this, I started laughing. I was like, oh man, this is, this is like all up in your business scripture, okay? Like this is, just slaps you in the face. Proverbs 24, verse 30 through 34. One day, this is probably my favorite two words in all of scripture. Not really. One day I walked by the field of an old lazy bones. I love that line. And then past the vineyard of a lout. There they were overgrown with weeds, thick with thistles, all the fences broken down. I took a long look and pondered what I saw. The fields preached me a sermon and I listened. A nap here, a nap there, a day off here, a day off there. Sit back, take it easy. You know what comes next? Just this. 
Don't get mad. This is the Bible, y'all. Don't take it out on me. You know what you can look forward to? I got good news. You can look forward to a dirt poor life with poverty as your permanent house guest. Congratulations. You got to start. I don't know what it is that God has placed in your heart, but there's a moment in time when you got to step out in faith and say, okay, God, today's the day when I'm going to make a plan and I'm going to put that plan into action. I'm going to start doing whatever it is that moves me toward the calling that you've placed in my life. You old lazy bones. Y'all are going to go say it. My wife's going to be saying that to me when I'm sitting on the couch and she's trying to put the kids to bed. You old lazy bones, get off the couch. Cass, please don't say that to me. You don't have, listen, you don't have to be great to start. But you have to start to ever be great. Like you can be, well, maybe that's not true. I guess you could be great at sitting on the couch eating Cheetos. You could do that. You got to start. You got to move. You got to put those ideas and processes into motion. It can't just be right here. It can't just be wonderful words that come out of your mouth. There's come a time when you got to put your legs behind your mouth. And start walking into what God has in mind for you. A fourth way to nurture persistence is to anticipate setbacks. Strong people make just as many mistakes as weak people, but the difference is the strong people admit them, learn from them, and move on. It's how they become strong. They don't sit there in their mistakes and blame it on other people. No, I didn't do that. It's on me. No. No, no, no. They admit them. Listen, It didn't work. I didn't do it right. I'm sorry. And they accept it and they move on and they try something else. They try it again. They do it a different way the next time. Anticipate setbacks. 15, watch, 15 publishers and 30 agents turned down John Grisham's first novel, A Time to Kill. Over 60 million copies are now in print. You got to start. There's going to be setbacks. But you got to keep fighting through them. George Lucas's movie Star Wars was rejected by every major studio in Hollywood until 20th Century Fox agreed to push it. It became one of the top grossing films of all time. Thomas Edison, we've talked about him, discovered 1,800 ways not to make a light bulb before he succeeded. Thomas Watson, the founder of IBM, said this, that the way to succeed is to double your failure rate. When's the last time you stepped out and tried something that made you a little nervous? I don't know if I have what it takes to do it. No, no, no. When's the last time you tried something that you could fail at? Right? A lot of times as Christians, we play it too safe and we won't do anything if we aren't sure that we're going to succeed at it. You got to step out. There's going to be stuff, but you can do it. You're not in it alone. You're not in it by yourself. You've got one that's walking with you, that's gone before you. The victory is already yours. Let me translate what Watson there said 
Ecclesiastes 11 and 1, this would be the, the spiritual comparison to his quote. Cast your bread on the surface of the waters, for you will find it after many days. The more resumes that you send out, the more likely you are to get a job. The more pounds that you attempt to lose, the more likely you are to actually lose. Right? Not if you don't jog. Got to jog. It's important. The way to succeed is to double your failure rate. The fifth way to nurture persistence in your life. Come on, we're putting toolbox in your life and in your hand, tools in your hand so that you can walk into your day tomorrow and have and live the life that God intended for you to live. And the way, the fifth way that you can nurture persistence is by expecting to work hard. Proverbs 19 would say it this way. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish, but will not even bring it back to his mouth. Cookie jar. Oh, I can't even bring my hand out of the cookie jar. Come on. Right? <laughs> this is Proverbs 20. Watch this. The sluggard does not plow after the autumn, so he begs during the harvest and has nothing. Bottom line, I don't want to be lazy from before, and I don't want to be a sluggard. I'm pretty sure they go hand in hand. The word of God is very clear that I need to expect to do what I can do. Right? So what one thing, what one thing could you do in your family life, in your spiritual life, on your job, with your finances, your health, personal growth, your social life that would help you be more successful? What could you do in those areas to be more successful? And what is it now, what is it that's keeping you from doing those things? Do you take time to think about this stuff? It's important, or, or you will wander through life, and you'll be 10 years down the road wondering, how come you haven't accomplished whatever it is that God has placed in your life? Deep down, I believe some of us are afraid of the consequences of expending too much effort. Most great things don't come easy. The sixth is this, and we're, we're getting close to wrapping this bad boy up. As you pursue persistence, be sure to persist pursuing the right goals. Nothing can be more frustrating, and many of you can attest to this, right? That climbing the, the ladder of success and, and getting, getting to the very top of that ladder only to realize it's been leaning against the wrong wall. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, for who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? Make sure that, that you're pursuing the goals that God wants you to pursue. Let me say it this way. Maybe this will clear it up. Make sure that your goals are pleasing to him and not in contradiction to what his word would say. Three questions really quickly to ask yourself along this journey. 
Does my dream violate any commands or principles in the word of God? Number two, is my goal in keeping with God's general purpose for my life? And number three, these are just some check marks for you as you pursue your dreams. And you can, you can check and see how your heart is. And you can check and see if your motives are right. How will the achievement of my goal honor God? Proverbs chapter 21 says this. There is no wisdom, and no understanding, and no counsel against the Lord. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. So we talked just a few moments ago about the walls of Jericho, and I want to I wrap it up by kind of concluding with that story this evening, but God had promised Moses and the children of Israel the promised land. You, you've heard this, right? And Moses wasn't able to step into the promised land, and so Joshua, his successor, is now leading the people. And they, they come to, to Jericho. But God had promised them physical land. And by the way, God has promised you every spiritual blessing through Jesus Christ. But here's the problem. Listen, and I want you to understand this tonight. That just because God promised it to you doesn't mean that you possess it. Just because he promised it to you doesn't mean that it's in your hand. So what happens, right? The enemy, you know this to be true in your world, the enemy will build massive walls that seems impenetrable. And he'll put what looks to be massive warriors standing on the wall to strike fear into your heart. To scare you away from the things that he's promised to you. And oftentimes, oftentimes, when you face impediments to your progress, your persistence, or if you'll allow me to use this word, your resolve begins to dissolve. When you face impediments to your progress, you don't, you're just not so persistent anymore. Well, I thought this was supposed to be easy. I mean, God promised it to me. I don't know where that accent came from. Well, I mean, I got, well, I got to know. It's not, they're not, they're not going to hire me. No, I'm just, okay, that was cool. Thanks, bye. Right when we face things that stand in our way to the thing that God has promised us, our persistence begins to wane. And so we, we do this self-talk, right? This is, this is what I would probably do. Okay, Lord, I know you promised us that Jericho would be delivered into our hands. That's Joshua chapter 6, verse 2. So go ahead, Lord, make it happen. Woo! Go, I'm, I'm waiting. Now I ain't waiting too long. <laughs> Hurry up. Come on. Let's go, Lord. I'm antsy. I'm nervous. I'm excited. 
What, God? You mean I can't just, I can't sit here and, and watch you just wipe them out? I can't just, I, I can't sit here and just, just watch the, the wall. I just want to prop my feet up, watch the walls fall down. You promised me, I mean, it's going to happen, right? I, no? Somehow, what? I have to, I have to march? You know how dumb that looks, Lord? March around the walls of Jericho? Just once, right, God? You just once. How many days? Lord, I'm not a jogger, remember? I got to walk around the walls of Jericho, but they'll think I'm stupid. <laughs> I mean, this looks crazy. Who, who does? This is crazy, God, really. Oh, one time a day for six days, and then, then we're good. No, there's, there's more? Really, Lord? Okay. What is it? Bring it on. What, what else do we get? On the seventh day? March around seven times. And the walls will finally come down. And I, Lord, I'm exhausted just thinking about this. I'm not, nah, I don't, I don't know if this is, this sounds like a lot of work. This sound, you promised me, God. The Jericho would be, I, do you mean I got to get involved? I tell you tonight that your persistence, listen, your persistence is part of the process that leads to your progress. Your persistence, your not quitting attitude, I'm not going to give up. Today's not the day to throw in the towel. I'm not going to stop short. Your persistence is part of the process that leads to your progress in life. Would you stand with me? Because here's what I would think, right? That God, if you wanted to keep all of us fired up about marching around these walls, that I could look up and I could at least see a hairline fracture in the walls of Jericho when I'm walking around the first time. That that would inspire me, right? To just, oh, I'm going to walk around again. Woo! I see the walls are coming down. But, but I don't even see the day has gone by and that wall's not coming down and I done marched around it just like you said, Lord. Keep marching? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep marching. Well, if I'm going to keep marching, Lord, I'm going to need to know that my marching is doing something. That's what we say. And God responds with the gentle, it doesn't work like that. You're going to get everybody out there and you're going to get them all lined up and you're going to march. And nothing is going to move. Nothing is going to move. And I, and I wonder, isn't this how life is, isn't it? Isn't it so often how life is when... When, when you're praying for your child that is making choices that is blowing your mind and you're praying and you're praying and nothing is moving. God, if I'm going to keep praying, I'm going to need to know that my prayers are working. This is, this is how life is. 
when you're trying to get your finances in order and, and straightened out? Isn't it the way that it feels that you're trying to do what you know to do, but, but sometimes it doesn't seem like what you're doing is working? No progress. Nothing is moving. God says, here's what I need from you. Here's what I need from you, Joshua. This, you got you to make this clear. That you got to keep walking by faith when you can't see the progress. You got to keep walking by faith and not by sight. You got to trust me that what I said is real and what I said is going to happen. I know you can't see it right now and I know it may not make sense to you, but can you walk by faith and not by sight? Can you have faith to believe that God It's working through your persistence. Even when you don't see the progress that you thought you would see. And just because you don't see the progress, listen. It doesn't mean that your faith isn't working. Because I got good news for you. There's coming a day. It may not be the first time that you march around the walls. It may not be the second day that you march around the walls and it may seem monotonous and it may seem like, is this really happening? Really, Lord? I got good news for you today. Better is coming. Breakthrough is coming. But it's coming through your persistence. Can you walk by faith when you can't see the progress? Would you slip your hands heavenward if it's comfortable for you to do so? Lord, right now, God, I know that in a crowd this size, this is doesn't take a special person. This takes common sense to know this, that there's, there's so many people under the sound of my voice who for a long time have been praying the same prayer, believing and holding on to that promise that you gave them about a business, about a family member. And I know sometimes it's difficult to keep moving and to keep going and to keep doing it and to pray that prayer again and to believe it one more time. But Lord, I pray right now that whatever it is and whoever it is that's ready to give up, to quit, to throw in the towel on that dream, to stop praying that prayer, that they're just too far gone. God, I pray that tonight you would touch our hearts that you would help us realize once again that we're not gonna stop on one, we're not gonna stop on two, we're not gonna stop on five, we're not stopping on six because there's a seventh time coming when we're gonna see the victory that we've been praying for. Lord, give us the courage and the faith 
to walk by faith and not by sight. 